Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Glenn Perillo. Glenn's extensive financial management background includes more than 25 years of experience in helping both emerging growth and established companies mitigate risk, enhance revenue, improve sales and marketing effectiveness, and implement cost reduction and supply chain management strategies. Glenn began his career in Big Four, where his clients included those in the technology, software, oil and gas, and not-for-profit sectors. Today, Glenn serves as the Vice President of Finance and Controller for AccuWeather. Glenn joined AccuWeather in 2013 and has been responsible for all financial operations during its most significant growth period in the company's history, which includes opening six offices overseas. During his tenure, Glenn has designed and implemented many new technologies and business systems, including the installation of a new global ERP system. Glenn has also been instrumental in developing the company's first disaster recovery program, which helped move most of its operating technologies to the cloud. A former resident of Annapolis, Maryland, Glenn now lives with his wife and three children in State College, Pennsylvania. Glenn earned a Bachelor's of Accountancy from the George Washington University in 1991 and is an active CPA. Glenn, welcome to CFO Weekly, and thank you so much for taking the time today to share your experience with us. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about several important topics that look at the past, present, and future of accounting. And we'll start with the roles of controller and the CFO and discuss how both of those roles have evolved over the last 10 to 20 years and what that means for those roles. We're also going to discuss how to be thinking about automation and how to get the most out of it. And lastly, we're going to touch on the future and how to prepare for 2021 and beyond. So let's get started. First, tell me about your career progression, Glenn. How did you get to where you are today? So I have a a more interesting pathway, I think, than probably the traditional person who came out of college and decided they wanted to go into finance and accounting. Like many people, I I cut my teeth on, you know, coming out, going into big four and, and working through the accounting world. But I I knew very early on in my career, going and becoming a partner in an accounting firm was not what I wanted to do. I really realized that my long-term ambition was to be a controller or a CFO somewhere and work inside an organization from that standpoint. And um, so interestingly, I did go and I did go work for Ernst Young coming out of college and build a foundation there. But then after about three or four years, started working through a progression of nonprofits. Uh, That was my first controller role was a young, struggling uh, nonprofit called the Alliance to Save Energy, which was a small organization looking to to find its roots, but it was at the right time of of the the energy shift in this country to look at more green energy. So it was an interesting way to to cut my teeth as a a controller. But from there, I, I worked a lot on a lot of entrepreneurial startup dynamic, uh, in some cases, companies that were in trouble and working to help transform their businesses and their business models and, uh, into a solid buildable format. But then it was years later that I actually got into business development for organizations as well. So, so I've seen both sides of the organization. I've seen it from the inner operational financial management side, but I've also seen it from the sales business development end. But for the last eight years, I've been with AccuWeather as their vice president, financing controller. Wow, that's a really interesting career path. I don't hear of many people or accountants that uh, you know go into sales. So, well, it's it's funny because it's always been my struggle from a career perspective because I've always had this piece of me that is driven by people even within the organization, like I thrive on working with others and I thrive on working with people. And I, I also enjoy the idea of meeting people outside your own organization and learning about their businesses. And, and that was the nice part of when you work in public accounting, because you get to see so many different businesses. But so sometimes when you're in finance, you get locked into that mode of sitting at a desk and 
reading financial reports and crunching numbers and doing debit, debits and credits and it limits your interaction with people. So I've, I've always had that personality side of me that wants to get out and wants to know people and meet people. And, and that, has, that has always played with me a little bit and why I've, I've bounced probably the mid part of my career between a financial accountant versus really being an entrepreneur in, in a business development framework for professional services organizations. And so that's, that's been the interesting play and tug in my career. Yeah, what a great combination of skills. So are there any particular stories or moves that stand out in your mind as turning points within your career? That's a, that's a good question. You know, I, and I actually, for this one, Megan, I would, I would say my, what stands out to me is actually prior to my career, um, when I was at GW and I was getting my uh, finance degree. My, it was interesting going to GW. My dad actually worked for, for NASDAQ, which happened to be about seven or eight blocks from my uh, dorm room uh, when I was in college. And, and a lot of times I would, I would walk up to his office um, you know, every, every other week and have lunch with him just to say hi and see how he was doing. And he would check in on me. And I remember going up, uh, I think I was, a, um, I was a sophomore. And I walked up to his office and, and I sat down and he did the, the, the great dad thing of asking me how I was doing, how school was going. And I was telling him, even though I went into college as an accounting major, a declared accounting major from the day I went in, I told him that sophomore year that I was really thinking about going into economics because that I loved economics. And maybe for those who remember, you know, the, the family tie shows and Michael J. Fox and Alex P. Keaton, who loved economics, I was going, maybe I'm really good at this and this is what I want to do. And he actually walked me down the hallway in his office to a gentleman named Enno Hobbing. And Enno at the time was the chief economist for NASDAQ back in the late 80s. And, and as I, he sat, sat me down with Enno and, and said, Enno, Glenn's thinking of changing his major. And what do you think? And Enno said some very profound words to me at that time where he said, you know, Glenn, he goes, I, I would love to say to you, go be an economist. He said, but the reality of being a finance professional and getting your accounting degree, he said, uh, economists are limited at times to what they can do uh, or their pathway in, in organizations is somewhat limited. But he said, if you go become an accountant, you can become a controller, you can become a CFO, you can become a COO, and, and you might even be able to become a CEO of an organization. And it opens your doorway to much greater possibilities. And those words stuck with me. I, I stayed with being an accounting major and his words were very profound because I have been able to, in my career, see so many different parts of organizations. As I mentioned, I, I, I did business development, but I've also been able to work inside of operations. I've been able to work very closely with IT management professionals. And certainly I've been able to lead the finance function for, for several different companies and help transform the business. So I feel very fortunate that that, that was um, you know, something that I did. And, and again, also taking those, those, those so I'll call them hiatuses around doing financial management and jumping in and doing business development and seeing from the other side what it's like to generate revenue, what salespeople have to do, how do you market a company? Those were extraordinarily valuable moments in my career to be able to diagnose a business better and understand and sit in those meetings with the executives and really understand the business more. They were hugely invaluable in my career. So those, those are probably the two big things that I can think of that come to how, how I basically <laughs> transformed my career and, and took that pathway down. Yeah, what great stories. And your first story really rings true with me, too. Is, is that's one thing I've loved about accounting is just the paths I've been able to take because of that degree. Um, and, and when I talk to CFOs, they all have, you know, unique and interesting pathways to, to where they've gotten today. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you think about it, like I, I have a daughter who's about to go into college next year. And, 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 and we say this to kids going into college about how important it is to get other experiences, maybe take a semester abroad and go do something different just to see and expose yourself to things because you don't know what you like and you don't know what you're good at sometimes until you actually go through the process. And I think some of those experiences are hugely invaluable just to test it, just to, even if it's just to test yourself and test what you like. And, and I think those are important, but I think it expands the, and broadens your horizons as to what you, can, what you can contribute back to an organization the more you had and shared experiences on certain things. So it's been great. Yeah. 
definitely the more you experience and see in life, the more you have to offer almost everything. So right. great right. advice. So let's talk about AccuWeather. What does that organization do? It's funny. I, I came to State College eight years ago, nine, almost nine years ago from the DC area. And when, I, when we moved up here, I had always known the AccuWeather name. The AccuWeather name, if, if driving around Washington, D.C. All, all my years in public accounting and working as, uh, in different businesses, we had long commutes down there, a lot of time in traffic, and you'd always hear the AccuWeather name on the radio, and, and that's what I knew of it. But then we do so much more than that. A lot of, we are a global brand. We operate in almost every com- country in the world in terms of producing weather forecasts all over the globe. And it's unique that you've got this small town, this company here in State College, Pennsylvania, that is a global name and a global brand. But we do, the the name is such that it's ACCU, the ACCU, the A-C-C-U stands for accuracy. And we are a highly accurate weather forecasting engine for the world. But many people are going to know us today because of our desktop website, our mobile website, or even our app. And they're going to know us from that and say, okay, that's accurate. They produce weather. But we do so much more than that. And it's really a hidden gem in terms of the business. So like I mentioned, I knew us from radio. So we still do radio. And there's a lot of radio stations around the country that when they do their weather spots, it's our weather. We also, most newspapers are going to have our weather printed inside of their newspaper or on their web pages. Uh, we'll have our weather uh, behind it. There's lots of TV stations around the country that use our weather or their meteorologists will use our weather for their broadcast. But we also, many people don't realize that we have a we have very fast growing network that we are producing now. So we are on uh, Verizon Fios, Frontier, and DirecTV currently. Uh, we're happy to announce recently that we just expanded our carriage to through charter communications through uh, uh, through Spectrum TV. So we're excited about that. So we have a, a, a network that's growing in carriage and distribution around around the U.S. But we also one of our biggest pieces that we do in the exciting piece too is is our B two B business. A lot of people don't realize that we actually produce customized and specialized weather forecasts for businesses. So if you're a, a farmer or if you're a hardware store or you're a manufacturer and you've got plants and, uh, that you're, you're producing your, your, uh, uh, your goods out of, we can produce severe weather warnings that might affect those plants and those conditions there to get, to get their employees to safety when needed. Uh, we can also help companies manage their inventory and from a standpoint of when's weather gonna be good. Uh, it's gonna be an early spring. Maybe you wanna sell more plant and landscaping equipment early. So we do a lot of, a lot of that. We manage a lot of the transportation businesses in the country so that they can forecast where their drivers need to be and, and go and avoid severe weather uh, impacted areas. So we do a lot of highly specialized weather severe warning type of uh, forecast. So we've just got a lot of interesting things. AccuWeather is just not one defined business. We're a digital media company, but we're also a technology company. We're a weather forecasting company. We're a B2B company. We just, we're a TV network or radio network. We have just a lot of different things that we do for our customers to get our name out. So we're very excited about what we do, how we do it, and uh, what we're able to produce. And, and, and our MO at the end of the day is to save lives, save property and lives. And if, we, if, if our, our forecasts are working properly and, uh, and, and our weather warnings are, are, are correct, we, we've shown that we, we, we save a lot of property and lives and we're very proud of that. Yeah, definitely a very recognizable name and yeah, lots of things that you guys do that I didn't realize. So mm-hmm. sounds like an interesting place to work. Yeah, it's 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 a very unique place to work, is, is to say the least. It's a great place. And Dr. Joel Myers is the founder of, of the company and and uh, you know built the business 58 years ago and he's still running the business today and still heavily involved in the business, which is fantastic. So we, we've truly got a unique company all around from the founding of it to the delivery of it to the growth of it all these years and how it's transformed and, and, and found multiple iterations of itself through its career. So it's, it's been a, a fantastic eight years uh, in working for the company. Yeah, definitely sounds like a company that's staying relevant. Yes. Eight years in the business is a long yep. time. Yep, yeah, exactly. From what it was of, uh, you know, a small company where Dr. Joel 
where miners would get on the phone and, and personally call people to help them deliver, whether it was a ski resort or a school district or whatever, to help them with their, their specialized forecast so that they could you know, make better on what they needed to do for their business on that given day to where it is today. Uh, you know, very large digital media company delivering a specialized forecasts all around the globe. And we, and we have today, I can tell you this, we have over 1.5 billion users uh, around the world using wow. our system. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the role of controller. How have you seen that role change over the last, like, let's say 10 to 20 years? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question because I, and, and you and I talked before about where I've given speeches around this topic um, historically with whether it's at the AICPA conferences or controller summits and whatnot. And this is a unique conversation that comes up over and over again with, with my peers in, in the industry. And, you know, I think there's been a couple, uh, a, a couple things that stand out to me in the transformation of the controller. Yeah, I can remember when I first started in the early 90s with E&Y and, and, and would go visit clients. And that controller still had that, I'll, I'll give you that stereotypical green eye shades type of, uh, of accountant sitting there, crunching numbers was the key, producing the financial report for the CFO was the key. And, and that's basically what they were limited at, at doing. And then as, as the 90s went on, you could see the transformation starting to happen. And that transformation of moving that controller away to being much more than that, that green eye shades, uh, Bob Cratchit kind of accountant, uh, you know, it, it started to it started to change, right? You know, and and uh, all of a sudden you started seeing them being more involved in the business because so many things were crossing over and cross pollinated or pollinating through uh, the organization, and, and 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 I think that's the result of several different things happening, but. But you started to have to, but the controller started to have to get more involved with with business systems, and IT, and and understanding that side of the business more than just understanding the debits and credits. And then, the controllers also started having to get more involved in the business operation side of, of things, and starting to become a little bit more of a strategic thinker within the organization rather than close them off in that corner office and and make them crunch the numbers you started to see a controller starting to become more involved in the decision-making and the strategy of the business. And I think that transformation, because there are so many things now that affect the controller's role from compliance to IT to really where the, what the numbers are telling the business it should be doing and how it should be growing and morphing. So to me, that controller role has really transformed. And, and I'll tell people a lot of times that I, what I see from my seat and the days even in the consulting world is that the CFO is now more tied to the CEO's hip than ever before. That CFO is a critical strategy thinker for organizations and heavily involved there. And that controller now has to support that CFO in that function and they have to be tied to the hip. And so, but the, I, I really view it as the CFO has become, or the controller has become more of yesterday's CFO, and yesterday's CFO has become more akin to the CEO, the COO, and the chief strategy officer in an organization. So I, I, that, that growth has really kind of transformed, I think, uh, mid-sized business, businesses to larger-sized businesses are really starting to see that impact. I think if you're a truly a small business, it may not be as prevalent. But in a in a mid-sized to larger-sized business, I think that it's ringing very true, and that's what I'm seeing my peers get involved with out in the marketplace. Yeah, and to your point, I think IT has been such a huge catalyst for change in the last 20 years. I mean, you just look at how quickly it's evolving. Yeah, it's it's forced all of us to kind of level up. Yeah, I totally agree, and I and I think what's interesting, I think you just hit on it, which is IT. I think when people say, well, what, what caused that change or why has, is that change occurring? And I think you look at two, two main catalysts of change. I think the one is certainly the IT, the pressure on business systems, because you can't just be a number cruncher anymore. Number crunching isn't good enough. You have to really understand the IT side. You have to understand the financial reporting side. You have to understand how the input translates to output. Then you have to understand your internal customers and what they need. And how do you get that to them? And I think you, you hear the term informatics all the time. And I think ultimately over time, that informatics idea 
data, understanding data and being able to deliver that data to your users, which are really your, your business managers and your critical thinkers within the organization so that they have the information they need to run their area of the business, I think is, is critical. But then when you think about IT, the, the pause on IT, which is challenging, which is tied more towards the Sarbanes-Oxley catalyst in this change, where Sarbanes-Oxley came in and all of a sudden, you know, the Enron incident and everything, everything became internal controls. How do we need to do, you know, even for private companies, how do we, how do we strengthen our internal controls to run our company and in a more strategic, secure way? And I think that catalyst of change with internal controls is, is key, but now think about it back to IT. You have to translate that back into IT controls as well. So now the controller can't just be thinking about financial controls. They have to be thinking about technology controls as well. And that is a, that is a key driver. So when people say to me, Glenn, what keeps you up at night? It's the unknown. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not an IT person per se. I know, I know enough about it to be dangerous to some degree, but you have to be able to translate that into your business to make sure your IT controls are secure, especially as we move more things to the cloud and all those things. So I think the impetus of, of the, what happened with Sarbanes-Oxley on top of the IT controls, those two things coming together as a perfect storm really started translating, hey, what is what is the controller now responsible for inside the organization and then the last piece of that component is compliance in general just compliance in general is driving the controller role in a lot of different ways because we have to make sure that the, the organization is compliant whether it's you know in federal and state and uh, sales and use tax filings and and international compliance and all of those sort of things drive to the controller's desk not to the CFO's desk most of the time. And the controller supports all that to make sure uh, to be able to make sure to the CFO that all of those things are handled properly and well and that sort of thing. So I think those things have really driven driven that role. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be a very difficult role just trying to keep on top of everything that's always changing. Absolutely. And and it's such a dynamic place. I mean, you just even look at look at sales and use taxes uh, from that standpoint. Each state is is running into budget problems, and so they're looking at ways to become, you know, to to generate more revenue. And states are becoming very aggressive on sales and use tax issues. And so dealing with those compliance issues of responding to them, talking to them all the time, working proactively in some cases with with states on those issues. That's a lot. And, and if you don't do it right, you can open up the exposure to the company in a way in which, you know, which the owners or the shareholders are not going to like if it's not maintained well. So you have to make sure you're on top of those things all the time. And, and it's one thing that, you know, I'll, I'll talk to my peers about this all the time. It's one of those things where you can't know everything. And if you think you know everything, that's where it's going to get you in trouble. You have to you have to put a line of, of, of great advisors around you and you're only as good as the people that you hire around you as well. So you have to make sure that you surround yourself with people that when you, when the question pops up or when you want to handle it, you've got the right people in line and you can't try to think of it that you've got to do it all yourself. It's, it's in a lot of ways, it's a teamwork approach and, and you've got to play quarterback between all those resources to make sure you answer these questions and sometimes very, very, very challenging questions. You answer them in, in, in a collective and respond back up to uh, executive leadership and the board sometimes in the most positive way you can. And I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. I love that advice. Not Nobody knows everything and it's very important that you hire good people uh, to put around you. So agreed Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. So you might have touched on this a little bit, um, but so given that the controller role has evolved and they've taken a lot of what historically has been on the CFO's plate, how do you think the CFO role has evolved during that same time? Yeah, I think, I think this goes along a little bit with, with what we talked about, but I, the CFO, I've seen the CFO, at least in the, in the mid-size to larger businesses, really change. You know, in the old days, it would be, you know, the, the executive, the CEO, the president would, would push it. Uh, and a lot of organizations I saw would push a top-down approach 
and issue orders. And that was kind of the directive. And in some cases, it was sales driving the business. In some cases, it was technology driving the business. But now the CFO really is in there steering and helping advise and steer the, the, the business. Yeah, I, a lot of the, my peers that I talk to and, and, and going to a lot of these conferences and hearing a lot of these panel conversations, you hear more and more how the CFO is really tied to the hip of the CEO and has to be that strategic thinker within the organization, helping drive momentum in the business and where it needs to go and translating those financial results and the, or the financial information, uh, that informatics we talked about and really understanding that data to be able to translate it back up and say, well, this is where we need to go. And strategically, this is, this is the right thing for the organization. So I think the that talking about it before, you, you have that controller there who really is tied to the hip of, of the CFO. That controller is really managing the detailed day-to-day -day financial operations, the compliance, and all the things associated with that. And that CFO has to rely on that controller and the controller's team to deliver that information as effectively as they can because that CFO in every meeting they're around in their organization has to be able to deliver that information with confidence, but has to be able to give direction on that information. And so you see a lot more CFOs participating in the, in the strategy conversation of the organization really tied to that hip of that C CEO or president and really debating and, and diving in deep to where that organization really needs to go to be successful. And you're, you're seeing more and more of that where I think 20, 25 years ago, that CFO would have probably been knee deep in the detail with the controller. And I don't think with, with how things are changing and how dynamic things are, that can be afforded anymore because there's just too much activity. There's too much going on that that CFO is required to participate in for their detail analytical information on the business. Yeah, I've read lately too that more CFOs than ever are being promoted to the CEO CEO roles. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, those would have been two very different career paths. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and you know, we, you and I were chatting about that earlier, about when you think about information, I mean, information is key, right? Like we, everything that we do in our business is based on data now. It's data, you're seeing it everywhere, whether it's, you know, I love how Major League Baseball talks about analytics and how they, how they evaluate their players via analytics. But in a lot of ways, businesses have been doing that over this last 20, 25 years, have been driving to an analytic-based business. And then you need to take those analytics and you need to understand them. And I think the reason, to your point, that you see a lot of CFOs jumping into CEO roles is because they're very good at understanding the analytics of the business. They're, they're very good at understanding the data that's being driven by the business and making interpretations of that data back to the board or back to um, other members of the organization. So I think that's why you're starting to see that transformation happen more than maybe what we saw 20, 25, 30 years ago. So switching gears just a little bit, um, let's talk about automation. And it seems that everybody's talking about it these days. And a lot of companies are investing very heavily in it, but not getting exactly what they'd hoped for out of it. So this is kind of a two point question, but um, what should we be looking to automate? Number one, and two, how can we get the most out of what we automate? I love that question. <laughs> It's one of my favorite questions, and uh, we do a lot of thinking about that at AccuWeather, and, um, and, and even within our, our finance function, we think about this all the time, every day. And, and the general rule of thumb I'll say to people when we talk outside the organization is you never want to automate just for automation's sake. And I think where organizations struggle is they just generally assume automation, all automation is good automation, and it's not. And one of the things we've, we've talked about in our finance function, now I, I can say this, since I've been at AccuWeather, we've, we've been able to grow the business almost 3X since I've been here. And I have less operating account, accountants today than I did when I joined the company in 2013. And we've done a lot of that through automation, and it's great, but there's risks with automation in the finance world. And the risk with automation is, you know, you generally think about how can I make the business more efficient? 
But what ends up happening a lot of times is that the system that you're, you're operating in, if that system, let's say you bolt on as an example, if we bolted on a credit card processing system, for example, I'll use a simple example, and we bolt that onto the existing system that we're using, if our accounting system is looking to upgrade and that bolt-on is not ready to upgrade, you run into system complex conflicts and you can't upgrade your main system in those situations. So you end up managing a lot of different technology. But the burden it puts on the organization is that I might be able to eliminate a role in accounts payable or accounts receivable by auditing, but by using systems that I need to bolt onto the system that I now need to maintain and update on a regular basis, I now may be required to carry more IT people on staff. So the trade-off sometimes is, yes, you've eliminated maybe some accounting personnel, but now you've, you've added IT. And going back to my comments earlier, where we talked about what keeps you up at night, and sometimes it, it would be the IT side of it because I'm not an IT guy. So if I shift away from my core expertise of being an accountant to where I'm now more heavily reliant on the IT side, now all of a sudden I'm losing a little bit of my control on the organization of what I know and relying on the IT side of the house to help maintain my system. And so there's risks in there, but just automating for automation's sake, just because we say, okay, it's, it's gonna do better. I always warn people and say, if it ultimately doesn't drive value to the end user, the customer itself, if it doesn't drive value, if I'm not making my system better, leaner, more efficient, and more cost-effective for my user, it may not be worth it. And so what we talk to people about all the time when people ask how we did it and, and all the great advances we made in, in automating a lot of our systems, at the end of the day, I have to look at my internal customer, customers and my external customers and make a decision that if these things help us speed things up, if it helps ultimately drive value to the end user, then we look at it and we take it seriously and we go and implement it. So we've taken a very pragmatic approach. We love automating. We like doing it. Um, I think a lot of people see the value in it, but that's been usually the ending cost benefit analysis that we do is to make sure it is ultimately driving value somehow, some way to the, to the end users. Yeah, that's really great advice and a, a great way to look at what should and should not be automated. And I love the advice about watching out for trade-offs between accountants and IT professionals as well, because I, I do think that sometimes automation just makes things more complicated. It really, and, it, and it's the system, it's the system maintenance side of it that really can make it more complicated. Like I always will say to people, well, why would I trade off moving off a $50,000 a year accountant who can do that, you know, do this work for me versus having to hire an eighty dollars to $100,000 a year IT person plus pay license fees to that software every year to have that person. If I can get scale, absolutely, we, we do it. So if we can find scale in the opportunity where I can, I can look at two or three positions potentially, or if we see sustained growth in the future, for that specific niche or area that we're talking about by automating it, then certainly the decision starts to become very easy. But if you can't see scale and you can't see opportunity there, sometimes it's just not the right decision. And um, you know, I, I know most of us that are controllers or CFOs, we get a lot of phone calls every day from salespeople saying, I can automate this and I can automate that. And some of their project products are terrific and they're great but understanding the true impact. And I always tell people, don't just look at the, um, you know, what it saves you immediately. You've got to look at the backend overhead cost that comes along with that technology. And if it's additive long-term, it, you got to really question the, the when and the how of when you, when you put that technology in play. Yeah. So don't just automate for the sake of automating. Right. So what do you think that automation means for the future of accounting? So this is another great question, and I wish I had a crystal ball on it. But it's funny, I can tell you when I was working for a large accounting firm about 10 years ago, these conversations were coming up 10 years ago about how automation in industry for their clients was going to affect how audits were going to be done. And, and I can tell you inside the accounting firm, there was a lot of fear that audits were gonna to start to be automated, that, that an audit firm would be able to run an, an automated program and do the audit right, 
breakthrough in automation. And I stood up at that point and said to the firm, I would relax. It's yes, I can see there's going to be automation, but accounting and auditing specifically is still by and large, there's a lot of subjective and objective things you've got to review to understand that business and why things are happening the way they are. I think long-term, here's what I would, here's my prediction or, or at least where I see the industry going. I think you're going to see a lot of very, when you've got very basic routine processes, whether that's accounts payable or accounts receivable, where those things can be routine and automated on a specialized basis, I think those things will continue to be automated and even become more and more efficient over the next five to 10 years. I think a lot of that stuff will, will look to be outsourced or through software solutions and things like that. I think there's some great tools out there and I think they're getting better and better every day. However, I don't think a lot of the, the reporting side of things where you need, you can't have a computer program just automate a response that says, this is the variance and, and because of this variance, this is what you need to do. You need to have human intervention and human dialogue around a lot of these things because there aren't cut and dry, simple answers to what the data is telling you. And so I think all those things around analytics and all those things around FP&A and all of those things are changing. So where I see the paradigm of change happening within the industry is really around that word we keep using, that informat informatics word, which is really around data. It's, it's understanding the data. And I see more and more accountants being shifted more towards that FP&A side, that data understanding side, rather than just booking debits and credits. I think, um, I think a lot of people out there view the debits and credits more as a commodity, except for the, um, the very strategic transactions are, are definitely not a commodity. But I think when you talk about AP and AR and those types of things, those, those are commodity-based uh, transactions. So it's really the value of the CPA, the value of the accountant, the value of the controller, the value of the CFO is taking that data and helping the business understand the stories that are involved and woven around that data. And I think that's the, that's the key to understanding business and where the shift is, is happening within the finance industry. So yes, there's gonna be a lot of automation on routine and basic processes, but in, in all, it's gonna be more focused on data, understanding the data, translating the data so people understand how it impacts the business. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fear that maybe automation is going to eliminate the need for accounting, but I agree with you. I, I think it's going to eliminate a lot of that mundane transactional stuff, but leave the more interesting work uh, that most people enjoy more anyway. So, Totally agree. And it's funny you say that too, because when I got here at Acuita, they used to do a lot of very manual processing. It's, things were still in Excel spreadsheets and almost hand ledgers to some degree tracking things. And I used to say to people, my the, the phrase I would use all the time would be, I want to be analyzing the data more than I'm spending inputting the data. And we've gotten our clothes down to an incredibly fast process. We're done in about three days. And we spend the rest of the month working with the business leaders on understanding that data. And I think that's the transformation of the business. It's not that you're going to have less accountants per se, it's what they're going to be involved in and how they're going to be utilized in the organization as a strategic partner, advisor, and consultant within the organization to understand the data. So speaking of the future, um, given all the unexpected twists and turns that have happened during 2020, how can organizations better plan for 2021 in the midst of these still uncertain times? You're asking me all of these questions that I need a crystal ball for. I know. I think we all <laughs> wish we had a crystal ball, especially this year. Exactly. I, you know, I think I think the if I could give one bit of advice to all of us, including myself, it's to keep making sure the organization is nimble and flexible. I think what we've seen over the last year, whether it's you know the COVID crisis and the pandemic to political unrest or uncertainties, I think you, you need to make sure your organization is nimble and flexible on everything it needs to do. It just needs to be dynamic. 
because we don't know. I mean, it, it, Megan, if you and I were sitting here at this uh, in this conversation a year ago, would either one of us had uttered the concern that we thought a lot of businesses were going to have to remote staff their entire workforce for almost all of 2020 would have seemed totally illogical and and probably the you know we could have seen oh a pandemic's coming and you know maybe we'll have to be careful about you know how we interact with people not to catch a virus but we would have never thought that you know a year later you know we'd be looking at a continued out <laughs> work from home model you know yeah. for most businesses it's 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 a really interesting time frame but you have to be able to react quickly and and we were fortunate at AccuWeather that you know, while it was hitting us, and, and it was a, a significant concern to us when, when you know, the government started issuing the mandates in, in mid-March to, you know, to work remotely and let's shut things down, we were very fortunate that we were already in a mode where we could be flexible and dynamic with our business model, and we were. And by moving people uh, home to be able to work from home, that was a great, a great validation of what we had already built because we survived and we survived well. It took us a few months to adjust, and that was the, that was the concern at the time. But we had already started thinking back in 2014 when I first came on board at AccuWeather. We, I forced the conversation back then about disaster recovery, and you know, back then I was thinking about a fire in a building somewhere or something along those lines that might shut us down for a little bit. I wasn't thinking about a pandemic. But those plans that we started building with our IT team back in 2014, 2015, 2016, and we put into play, played very well. Because I can tell you today that my staff works remotely, and we work almost as well, if not better. Some would argue we work better remotely than we do when we're in the office, because we don't have the distractions while we're in the office, and we've been able to work very effectively. So I would say with all this uncertainty, the best thing businesses can do is keep themselves nimble, you know, think about ways in which you can operate your business from very unique circumstances and, and keep it lightweight and nimble because otherwise, if you get caught into too much overhead, you can really cripple the business. Yeah, totally agree. I think a lot of businesses this year have only survived because of their ability to, to shift gears. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of businesses have had to be very creative. Now there are certain businesses, certainly the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry probably been um, hurt more than, than any other industry out there. But for all those other businesses to think about how can we operate or those businesses that are manufacturing businesses and they got to think about how do we still produce our goods, but keep our people safe but how are we going to work the staff here to rotate people through in the in the safest, most efficient way possible, but not not impact revenue and uh, not impact the bottom line? I think a lot of businesses have been very very successful this year, and I think a lot of companies should be very proud of how they've been able to manage themselves through such a unique time in all of our lives right now. Yeah, I mean, it truly is amazing that so many businesses are still running and thriving, uh, given you know all of the challenges of 2020. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a again. I tell my I try and tell my kids I have never seen this in in my first 50 years. I hope we know I don't see it in the next 50. But agreed. Um, this is this is not normal. And you know, to young kids, if to them it might feel normal, but it it's not normal. So what should CFOs be focusing on and how can they best prepare themselves for tomorrow's challenges? Yeah, I think, again, you know, a lot of that is driven by the unique circumstances of each business out there. But I think businesses, if, you know, as, a, as folks who are CFOs, and, and certainly I'm, I'm tied at the hip with my CFO, compliance is becoming such a huge part of our world. Internal controls IT controls are becoming such a huge part of our world. And to me, that's that's a key part of, of the business and where we're going, what we need to manage. But I would say relative to all that, right? So we just talked about the impact of COVID and how important that is. To me, every business out there, every CFO out there has to be considered considering three main components, I think, on the business. One is the dynamic nature of the industry around them. And, and part of that is compliance. Being nimble, being flexible, being able to expand, contract at rapid place in, in rapid time is key. But the second component 
I would think is risk management. Risk management is, is getting more and more complex every day. Understanding where you need to protect your business, how you need to do it, how you need to build out the controls internally to protect the business, but also at the same time, how do you protect it and working with your brokers and your insurance agencies and carriers to understand how to protect your business. I think that is a very key and, and real thing. And, and when you look at the cyber world, the cyber world is changing and more complex. And you've got a lot of people out there with, with malintent going after people through a cyber world that you really need to understand that and your risk management program will help that. And usually that's the CFO driving that component of the business to make sure that uh, the business is protected and, and stands up through the test of time. And you and I touched on this one. This is my third component for CFOs is, uh, we talked about this lightly in the beginning, it's talent. You know, we're only as good as the people we surround ourselves with. And, and if we do a poor job surrounding ourselves in the finance world, with good talent, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with good operating results. You're going to uh, struggle translating those operating results to the, the business leaders. You're going to struggle with data management and the, that informatics side of the business. So, but talent is getting more and more challenging to go find good talent and retain that good talent in a very competitive world, even through the pandemic, finding good talent and strong talent to come in there and augment your team in the right way, I think is, is a challenge. So to me, you know, I think for CFOs looking forward into 2021 and beyond, the three things of you know, the dynamic nature of the environment, whether it's from compliance, being nimble, being flexible, risk management, and talent are the things that are going to drive the CFO for success in the future because they, they need all three of those things to be working well to be successful. So just one last question I'm going to throw your way as we look to, to exit this year. What has been one positive change that came out of 2020 that you hope to carry forward either, either professionally or personally? Ooh, really good question. You know, I COVID, think I mean, at least I, some good things came out of this year. Right. And I, and I, and I do believe there are like, I, I am always the type um, that looks to the positive side of things, look to the silver lining. And I think if, if COVID has shown us anything, if the pandemic has brought any silver lining to businesses, I think what a lot of businesses can hang their hat on is when you have good people working for you, you, you can survive and you can, you can do a lot of really positive things. As I mentioned to you, we, you know, our staff works really, really well remotely, sometimes better than they work inside the office. And the funny part about that is we've tried and tried very hard, and I think we've been very successful at it this year, of making sure our people are taken care of. It can be lonely when you're not in an office and working and have that interpersonal communication around you to thrive off of. And I always I joke with my teams all the time to say, if you're not enjoying your work, you should probably go and do something else. Like if you're not having fun. So we, we, while we work very hard at work, we also try and make sure our people are having fun. And despite the fact that we've been working remotely, we've tried through you know, whatever, whatever video conferencing software people use, whether it's Zoom or Teams or whatever, we have tried to stay very much in touch with everybody in the organization, in our department, to make sure we're talking to each other, that we're actually having conversations. I, the one positive is that we joked about this in one of our executive meetings. We actually think sometimes our Zoom meetings are better than when we're in person because you come with an agenda, you're boom, 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 you're done the meeting, and then you're out sometimes without wasting a lot of time on uh, for 20 minutes on small talk or things like that. And so I think the positive is we may be improving our communications with our team and the ability to recognize and take care of our people in a right way, that people aren't being ignored or lost in the shuffle, that you're actually getting around and talking to people and it, it puts that on the forefront because you want to make sure, hey, I haven't seen that person in two days. Let me do a Zoom meeting with them just to check in on them and see how they're doing. So I think the silver lining is it's putting a focus back on people, their well-being, their mental health, 
in the business to try and take care of them in a more productive way. And so I think here at AccuWeather, we've, we've done that. We've done that really well. We tried to make sure that everybody's taken care of, that nobody's forgotten out there, that we're getting around to all the folks and, and telling them what a great job they're doing and, and how proud of, proud of them we are and, and how they've managed and worked through the crisis. And I think to me, if there's a silver lining when we come out of that, you'd like to see some of that momentum coming out of that when we're all back in an office and we're, we're working shoulder to shoulder, that that same sort of caring and understanding and, and concern for the well-being of people is, it, it continues to grow and, and, it, and, is, uh, and becomes a more positive and, and not just in our business, but all businesses in, in total, that that is a good thought process. So, Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I think most people do enjoy working from home, but it is tough. It, it's hard, you know, when you miss the camaraderie that comes with an office. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, a simple thing. Like we, one of our jokes internally, we have a, a guy that works on our team who's who's fantastic with the team, and he always brings in his dad jokes when we when we were in the office. He would he would always tell his dad jokes to the team, and that was always a good five minute breakup of everybody during the day as we came in and unpacked our things and got our computer set up every morning. Well, we haven't had to have that in a while, so we've incorporated. We do biweekly team meetings with everybody now to make sure we we get to everybody but we incorporate five minutes of that team meeting is the dad joke period. So <laughs> we still continue to tell them and we still continue to get laughs out of people just so that they know we don't take everything so seriously all the time. We, you have to have a little bit of levity out there to get the most out of people. And we, we try and do that as much as we can. Glenn, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I totally enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I've enjoyed speaking with you and getting your, your perspective on the changing roles within accounting leadership and how we can continue to lead our organizations into the future. To all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. Please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.